Well, I'm grateful for the welcome, and uh, I'm glad to be here. This is a place where I sense that I belong. The, uh, some of the machinery I'd love to take home with me, um, especially the saws and things on this doorstep. But uh, um, the, uh, uh, just a, a word of explanation about uh, this sense of belonging I have. Uh, I was not a Baptist, nor the son of a Baptist. Uh, I didn't attend a Baptist university or theological college here in the Maritimes. Uh, but 23 or 4 years ago, when I did become a Baptist pastor in Halifax, uh, as on an interim basis, I felt immediately at home in what was then called the convention. And... Uh, and then that sense of belonging, and, and then my church said, would you be willing to be accredited so that we could call you to, to, to stay? And I said, sure thing, this is the place where I feel at home. And, uh, and then I, a year or two later, ADC asked me if I would teach a course because Roy Williams wasn't well. And uh, one thing led to another, and for 20 years I've taught about one course a year on average. Uh, however, I also discovered as I went to the annual meeting of convention that I would look around and see almost nobody I knew. Yes, the odd pastor from Halifax that I was just getting to know, but then, and, and I felt a kind of a sense of alienation as I walked around here or Crandall University and perhaps some others can identify with that. Um, However, one day in line to register for Oasis, as it was then not called, <laughs> uh, I was talking to one of the students in, in a class that I had just taught the previous semester, and, and I thought to myself, ah, this is where I belong. Anyway, so thank you for the, the welcome and... Uh, um, as a, a pastor who preaches regularly, too, I also know the dire feeling of a guest preacher not showing up, so uh, I sympathize with that. Let me tell you another story and get closer to what I've come here to tell you about. On my way to Pontianic in Indonesia, I discovered something I missed. About 10 years ago in the spring, Katharina, my wife, and I were visiting our children. They were living then in Sydney, Australia, and in Hong Kong. And someone decided that in between those two great cities, I should teach an intensive course at the Theological College, where Canadian Baptist Ministry partners were teaching as well. And I remember the phone call quite vividly that kind of established the itinerary and my responsibilities in more detail. Would I be willing to preach on the Sundays before and after this intensive week, they said. I said, yes, I would. I'd love to do that. And just one more thing, they said, and that's a warning kind of phrase, the, the just one more thing. When my wife says just, I think, wait now, stand back. The, just one more thing they said, would the Baptist churches in the city are getting together for a special service on the Thursday morning. Would you be willing to preach on that at that service? 
And I said, yes, sure, that would be an honor. Thank you. What's the occasion? Ascension Day, they said. Click. I was thinking to myself, not only would it be an honor, but it will be a first. I've never preached on Ascension Day. But the other question that came to mind, of course, as I headed to my computer was, have I ever preached on the Ascension? And the answer was, no, I had not. Well, I had a couple of months, and uh, that was not a problem. But uh, as I prepared that Ascension Day message, I realized that I had missed something. And that I was tempted to think of Jesus as a 30-year wonder. At Christmas, Jesus is ushered in out of nowhere by angels and a star. And 30 years later at Easter, he's raised from death and whisked away. And we get on to other business. In the same way that we forget that Jesus had a prehistory, we forget that Jesus now has a lively, continuing ministry in heaven. But the book of Hebrews tries to correct us on both counts. In its opening sentences, Hebrews reminds us that through Christ, God made the universe and that Christ sustains all things by his powerful word. Creation and providence are Jesus Christ's work. In other words, Jesus was with God the Father in the unity of the Holy Spirit right from the very beginning. But we forget it. We make a similar mistake on the resurrection side. Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, but because it happened on a Thursday, we don't notice. Instead, we swiftly change our Sunday-by-Sunday focus from Jesus to the Holy Spirit, and then just get along with life and church and whatever. Once in a while, perhaps, when we visit another church, We're reminded that Jesus has ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father. But we think to ourselves, oh, he's just sitting. (laughs) And leave it at that. But Jesus doesn't just sit. As high priest of the heavenly sanctuary, Hebrews chapter 7 tells us, as high priest of the heavenly sanctuary, He serves, he carries on a ministry, as our text in Hebrews tells us. And don't get me started on chapter 8, verse 2, where it talks about Jesus standing as the liturgos in in the sanctuary. There's so much more we could say about that. Jesus, the leader of our worship. But just three or four verses before, at Hebrews 7, 25, we learn the important truth that Christ prays. Hebrews 7.25 tells us that Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. In simple four, one-syllable, four-word sentences, that means Jesus prays for us. Let's unpack this a bit. It means, first of all, I think, that Jesus lives to intercede for 
us. That Jesus is on our side. That he's willing to take a side and willing to stand and sit beside us and pray with us. And yes, lean and direct and show us the correct way for sure. But something essential as we trust in Jesus happens. Something essential happens where Jesus draws near to us and is for us deeply and profoundly. Two chapters later in Hebrews, we hear the same concern. Christ entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Like a lawyer who appears in court for her client, Jesus takes sides. Jesus appears in heaven to stand by us, to represent us, to pray for our best. When you and I pray with others, we sit with them perhaps, we stand together in some kind of solidarity with them. We bend toward them and as we pray, as we discern more about what God intends, as we perhaps come closer together in our understanding of that, we sense the the solidarity that is true with Jesus and us praying together. It's a theme, of course, an important reality that we see not just in the heavenly prayer that Jesus does for us, but a prayer that we, but a reality that we see right from the very beginning in Jesus' life. We see it in the incarnation when God takes on our humanity and moves into our neighborhood. We see this as Christ is tempted like we are, experiencing the wide range of human life. We see it most profoundly in the suffering and death of Christ, where on the cross he represents us and takes the weight of our sin. And now in heaven, Jesus prolongs that life and death and resurrection ministry on our behalf. Far from condemning us, as we sometimes suspect, Jesus is pleading our case. Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Just as God became human like us when Jesus was born, just as Christ died with our salvation on his heart, so Jesus stands in heaven with us as our prayer partner. Now it's um, a danger, I think, in my excitement of discovering what I missed and waxing about it in theological terms, as I have, it's important, I think, that we not lose sight of how practical a matter this intercession of Jesus is. For one thing, at the the very basic level, I, I believe, it means that Jesus helps us with the words that we pray. Donald Blesch writes, Christ gives our prayers form and substance. In his role as intercessor in heaven, he prays our prayers with us, for us. He unites our prayers with his so that God hears us. And I think of teaching my children to pray, saying the words 
little by little. Coming down to the place where the words that I use are the words that they would use. And sometimes saying their prayers after them. Jesus helps us with the words. The Spirit intercedes with us, for us, rather, with sighs too deep for words. Jesus and the Spirit are together on this, of course, as Father, Son, and Spirit are together on everything. In every circumstance, Jesus understands. In our sufferings, Christ prays through our tears. Jesus wept when his friend Lazarus died, and he still weeps as his people suffer and die. When we're tempted, Jesus understands. He was tempted like us, and he can sympathize with our weaknesses. He can pray along with us as we pray desperately for help, and he can help us when we're tempted. And when we sin, Jesus prays forgiveness over us. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. If anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. And, so it, and, and, and it goes beyond all of this, of course, too. It, it, there's a danger in thinking that this would all be a kind of a me and Jesus individualism. But Jesus prays for us, says the text. Jesus prays with a concern for us as a college, as a people of God gathered together in this place uniquely today. Jesus prays for us as a representatives of denominations around the Maritimes. Jesus prays for us in a, a Western context that has so many corrosive elements that make Christian faith difficult. Jesus suffers with us and grieves with us. And when we're tempted with the, the giant-sized temptations that come to us on a cultural level, the faithful prayers of Christ continue to undergird us and help us. And sometimes we, when we, especially when we get carried away with our own importance, perhaps, or our own sense of responsibility for making it better, we need to remember the prayers of Christ that breathe life into us and help us to show us the right way and, and to keep on going. Let me, let me move on. The continuing prayer ministry of Jesus, although it, it happens away from us now with Jesus ascended into heaven, is a continuation of his earthly ministry. It's grounded in what's already happened. And it's because of what we learn there that we most fundamentally, I think, understand what's happening now and away. The followers of Jesus noticed that when Jesus withdrew to pray, he had them in mind. And when he came down from the mountaintop, to choose 12 to be part of an inner circle. Peter and the others knew that Jesus had been praying for them. At the Last Supper, just to move ahead very quickly, what would Peter have thought when Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, 
that your faith may not fail. Would he remember that when the accusations flew and the denials came to his lips? I think he probably did. How would he have met that challenge, I wonder, when Jesus on one side of the tableau is making the good confession before his inquisitors and over here on the other side warming himself by the fire? Somebody says, you were with him. You're one of those, aren't you? All hell was about to break loose on Jesus just then. And so you can imagine that these were stressful times for Peter and the other disciples. It was a time when his faith was going to be tested to the limit. But Jesus knew about that and he had prayed for Peter. We listen as Jesus continues at the table that night, that Thursday night. Ah, yes, there's something else significant that happened on a Thursday. Father, I have revealed you to those who you gave me out of the world. I pray for them, for those you've given me, for they are yours. Protect them by the power of your name. Sanctify them by the truth. And on and on he goes. Jesus interceded for his disciples over and over again. Read about it in in the Gospels. Jesus prays for us too. Not only for those chosen few in that chosen generation, but he prayed for us as well. John 17 tells us, my prayer is not for those disciples alone, but for others who will believe in me through their message. That's us, the descendants of the promise, the inheritors of the gospel. Give them unity, Father, Jesus continues so that the world may believe, so that their witness could be buttressed by a sense of togetherness in this project. Give them unity. Let them know that you've loved them even as much as you've loved me, Jesus says, so that they can be with me and see my glory. And as phrase piles up on phrase, I just feel more and more helped by Jesus' prayer on our behalf. So how would it feel if you knew that Jesus was praying for you? How would it be if this was something that you didn't forget, that wasn't missing from your regular faith concerns brought to mind? Would it make a difference when when you meet at chapel to realize that as we pray, Jesus is praying? Would it make a difference when, when you're stressed as perhaps... Whether you're a teacher or a student, uh, I sense the level rising. Would it make a difference when you stare into your computer at that term paper to know that Jesus is standing by to encourage, praying to help? Would it make a difference in our denominational life, whatever the denomination is, in our witness in the wider society if we had a sense that it's not all up to us? That responsible as as we need to be, nevertheless, Jesus is guiding along the way, praying and helping. So many times in our corporate life we feel just as desperate as in our individual lives. And Jesus continues to intercede for us.
One more thing, very briefly, as we conclude, and that is to say that this text finally promises us that Jesus is able to save completely. It's interesting that the uh, translators disagree exactly about this, and there are theological fights in the background about it. The NRSV says that he's able to save for all time, and the NIV says that he's able to save completely. But the bottom line, I think, is that this, that, that Jesus' prayers will see us through to the end. That Jesus will be able to continue the good work that he's done in us, in you, until it comes to the day of completion. He will save, he does save, completely, forever, everything.